Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. Happy Halloween. I am really excited about this episode. So in the beginning of October, actually back in September, I was asking if anybody had any cases that I hadn't told yet that had MLM connections. And I got a ton of stuff, which you've listened to all month. And this particular case that we're going to talk about today was just so deep and tragic and there was so much to it. When I was researching it, it almost felt like I was creating a little mini documentary. And I was like, who could come on the show and sort of tell this story with me and react to this story with me in a way that would be fun, but respectful? And I was like, oh my gosh, obviously, Jillian Pensavalli from True Crime Obsessed. I was on her podcast, Let the Women Do the Work. And so I reached out and I said, hey, would you be interested in doing this Halloween episode with me? And she was like, name the time and the place. So this episode is really great. We talked for over two hours. There is a much longer version of this episode on the Patreon. Uh, Her and I did just really actually Patreon exclusive stuff. There's a little Q&A and a couple extra tangents that I saved for the Patreon So if you are a fan of Jillian, she is wonderful, and you are interested in that, you can head over to the Patreon and access that. We have $5 and $10 tiers, and I also want to welcome our newest member, Mallory Hayden. Hey, girl, welcome to the club. It's nice to have you. So a couple of other fun things that happen in this episode, we learn about Jillian's MLM experience, because once you start thinking about it, everybody has one. And we also go on quite a few tangents, one of which leads us down a discussion about MLMs and television. And it reminded me of a TV show. And I mentioned it in the episode. And I just want to let you guys know that I found the full episode. So if you are interested in the episode I talk about in this episode, the link is in the show notes for you. So I need to do our content warning really quick before we get into the episode, and I want to let you know that this is a really, really heavy episode, and there are a lot of triggers. In this episode, we talk about sexual exploitation, sex work, murder, abuse, suicide, and attempted murder and attempted suicide. So it is a a very heavy episode, plus we talk about our own issues with toxic diet culture and eating disorders and a myriad of other triggers. So it is a very, very heavy, very heavy episode. So please, please, please use discretion while listening. Oh, one last thing. I want to remind you, cult stories. If you have one, you can go ahead and send those in. I'm doing an anthology post for next month. And I would love to be able to add your story into that. So you can send it to me via email. You can send me an Instagram message. You can send me a voice memo. All of the links for those things are also in the show notes. Enjoy this episode and have a happy and safe Halloween. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. Guys, Jillian's here. 
<laughs> Jillian's here. Hi, Jillian. Hi. hi. This okay. it's it's Jillian from True Crime Obsessed. Yeah. Hi. It's Jillian from True Crime Obsessed, you guys. And it's an October episode. And when I was thinking, I have to do a true crime episode for October. Who should I talk to? And it was like, duh. <laughs> I appreciate that. My <laughs> reputation precedes me as just being excited for October, November, December, my months. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This is um, an honor. You were on my podcast, Let the Women Do the Work. Um, so I'm just happy that you wanted to spend even more time with me. And, you know, I'm oh happy to gosh. be a guest on your show. If there wasn't an entire continent between us, I feel like we would hang out, <laughs> you know, me, more than just one, on Zoom. One hundred percent. I am just so excited. I didn't know what case to do. I've done a little bit of like MLM true crime here or there, but I, I reached out to my Patreons and I said, you guys, someone has to know a case I haven't covered yet. And uh, one of my Hunbot slayers, Tiffany Lewis, <laughs> she was like, I have a case for you. And I'd never heard of it before. And so I started looking into it and I reached out to you and I said, Hey, like, this seems like a good one. And you did some research too. I did insane amounts of research. Uh, we're we're going to do this, but we're going to cover the case of Paige Bergfeld, who was a pampered chef consultant. Um, so this is the pampered chef murder. It, it, it's, it's just pampered chef didn't murder her. Uh, we'll get into that, but Pampered Chef actually plays, or the community of Pampered Chef actually plays a, a decently large role in this case. And so I thought it was really interesting. Um, I've been researching it for about a week and uh, I'm just really excited to talk to you about it because there's so much in this case as I was researching it that I found that I was like, what? And there were just so many more rabbit holes to go down. So I, I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. I'm when you said like, how about this? I was like, Roberta, this is your show. You tell me what we're covering. I'm happy to do it. Like I'm not that you tell me what to do and I will just show up and this will be great. So yeah, it's, um, it's a very sad and yeah. lots of twists and turns in this case. I didn't so really know anything weird. about it either. Yeah. It happened in 2007, which was when I was talking before we hit record, like possibly because it happened before all of the podcasts and all of the true crime that it just isn't something that's as big as other cases. I did find mm -hmm. a podcast on it, but it was only like 30 minutes long. So it was really quick. There's there a 2020 a episode on it. And I think a dateline. I was watching the 2021 yes. this morning. Yeah. So there's a disappeared, a dateline, a prime time and a 48 hours wow. that all aired between 2007 and 2010. But again, like I didn't even start listening to true crime podcasts until like 2015, 2016. Wow. So like, no, the 2020 I watched came out in 2021. I guess oh, they did an update on it. Yeah. They they were, yeah. Well, I but missed still, that one. They I do that all the time. They like, re they recycle stuff and then they'll just do like a little bit of an update or add some new things. But yeah, you're right. Like there hasn't really been anything new right. about this case in a while. So I was very like, I had never even have heard of it back in the day when I started listening to true crime, it was like serial and S town and stuff like that. So which actually also brings me, we were supposed to record on Monday, but you yeah. text me and you're like, can we bump it? Uh, can you fill us in really quick about why we had to bump and what happened on Monday right. speaking of cereal? Yeah. So I felt really bad. I've never done that. I felt really um, unprofessional and very rude, but there was a hearing on uh, this past Monday for Adnan Syed to possibly get his conviction vacated and hopefully walk out of prison, which is exactly what happened. Um, and we were supposed to record at 3 p.m. my time in New York City and the hearing was at two. And I was like, Roberta, I know 
how these things go. This could be the rest of the day. I would be way too distracted. I knew I would be getting texts or that I wanted to sort of be involved and like follow what was happening. And so I was like, please, do you mind? I'm so, so sorry. I never have done this. I really apologize. And you were like, look, if there was like a big MLM case, I was like, look, the minute Mark and Deanne, something happens with them, you clear your schedule, you clear your calendar. So again, I appreciate you so much for being flexible. But yeah, after over 20 years in prison, the prosecution, the state came forward and said, we found all these Brady violations. They found enough things where his conviction should be vacated. He walked out of prison. They took the shackles off. I could start crying again. And he is now home and they're going to see if they're going to have a new trial. But the fact that the state and the prosecution wanted this, like that's unheard of. Uh, my friend Damien Eccles, who was also wrongfully convicted, has been he's out, but he's not exonerated. So like I was down in Arkansas with him in June for hearings and these things like they're always messy and the state never wants to admit they did anything wrong. And the prosecution always is like has their digs their heels in and their heads in the mud. So when we heard on Wednesday, a week ago today, that the prosecution and the state wanted this, like we no one wanted to get our hopes up, but And then it happened. So it's really it's been really, really incredible. And uh, Rabia Chaudhry was really at the helm of this because she's the one who brought the story to Serial. And then her podcast Undisclosed with just these amazing people on it did like all the research and corrected the record and like fixed all the mistakes that Serial made, of which there are many. Um, So if you only know about Adnan's case from Serial, please go listen to Undisclosed. Also Serial Dynasty that Bob Ruff did. He does Truth and Justice now. But yeah, like Rabia was down there and it was her dream. And she was on Let the Women Too, like talking about this. And we were getting really emotional emotional and crying and hoping that like one day this would happen and now it happened and it feels crazy and now because of this we can get justice for Heyman Lee also because now that this conviction is vacated they can focus on the actual suspects and really get justice for Heyman Lee which is also the point of all this. It's just it was incredible and watching him even just be in his home with his family opening the fridge he's like what's for leftovers like eating leftovers I was like oh my god it just it brought me to tears I was so excited I I'm so happy for Adnan and his family I Um, know it's just incredible it is it really is it took so long but you know that's the thing never give up never stay loud about it, keep talking about it, keep the attention on the case, whatever your case is, whatever your passion is, because that's how things get done, you know, to get to the bottom of the truth. It's just, it's freaking amazing. It's amazing. So we're going to talk about this, this case here. Paige was born in 1973. She was just a regular old girl and her dad worked for the National Association of Securities Dealers And with promotions, he relocated the family to Colorado when Paige was a child. So she grew up in Colorado. And in 1995, she married her high school sweetheart. His name was Ron Beagler. Her dad said, like, this was her first real big love, real big romance, typical teen romance. It blossomed into love and marriage. And they got married really young. Uh, She was just 22. Paige always wanted to have kids. um, And she really had a close-knit family. But Ron was not into it. He didn't want to have kids. He felt he was too young, too many responsibilities. And he kept pushing the idea away. And eventually, it affected their relationship. And two years later, they ended up getting divorced. So essentially what happened was Paige needed money. She needed a a job that paid the bills. And so she started working at a strip club called the Mile High Saloon. And at that place is where she met her next husband, Rob Dixon. Okay. Yeah. Ron is first husband and Rob is second husband. Okay. Yeah. Ron and Rob. There's a distinction there. They are two different people. They are. So 
Rob is this like super rich dude. He's an entrepreneur. He's got family money and he was very, very into Paige. He would like sort of fawn over her and he said she was so beautiful and he really wanted to be with her. And she really liked that he had money, he was established and that he also wanted to settle down and have kids. That was like her main thing. She's like, you want kids? Let's do this. So they end up dating in this incredible whirlwind romance. And a year later, they get married. And within three years, they have three kids. They move to Grand Junction, Colorado, and they're like living this picture perfect life. For anybody that's like looking on the outside, you would think that she had the most amazing life, right? Right. She was the perfect mom. She doted on her children. She was like the soccer mom. Like literally, like this woman was like made to be a mother, right? Yeah. She just was this really, really, really wonderful mother. But unfortunately, <laughs> the Dixons, um, their extravagant lifestyle, like I said, was all a facade. Uh, they lived in this multi-million dollar home in Grand Junction. And Rob was obsessed with like wealth. He had nine supercars, nine. Okay. Mark only has two. Mark from LuLaRoe only has two supercars. This what is a supercar? That's just like, like a fancy, like a Porsche or like a Lamborghini yeah, or like a ridiculous, like souped up sports car. So one of nine, his, nine, one of them was a lemon yellow Lamborghini. What does that say? Midlife crisis. <laughs> it's like, look at me in my bright yellow car. Yeah. Um, I wonder what that vanity plate was. <laughs> like dollar signs. Like. <laughs> So by 2014, um, there were quite a bit of problems in the marriage. Unfortunately, it took a turn for the worse. Paige started to realize that maybe her husband was not so good with money. Maybe mm. not so good. And their lifestyle was literally eating away at their savings. They had like a $6,000 mortgage. Like who needs a $6,000 mortgage? Yeah. Um, he couldn't keep up with his appearances or his bills. Uh, and this is something that... I, I, when I started looking into this and reading all these articles, there was a lot of people that were saying, and then Rob's business took a hit. And then there was the problem with the business. And then and I was like, okay, well, what happened? Right? Like, cause it was, it was like, nobody went into it. And so I did, I Googled it. <laughs> I Googled like Rob Dixon, like bad business deal, Colorado. And, like what is his business exactly? So I'm not really sure. Like it never really said like one way or the other. Like That's a big was, red flag. If right? you can't like really define what the job is, then it probably doesn't really exist. Yeah. He's like a wealthy entrepreneur with family money. Mm. And so he dabbled in a lot of different things and he had different investments. And so I found two things that he did. So the first thing was he started getting, because he had all this money, he started really getting into like philanthropy, right? Okay. You know, because you okay. got to look, you got to look apart, right? So he starts right. getting into philanthropy and he was a former EMT. So he gets really involved with the local fire department and ends up becoming a board member of the fire district and becomes a benefactor of the fire district. Like 2002, he had donated over $2.8 million worth of Cairns Iris thermal imaging devices, which is a helmet mounted thermal imaging system that uses focal plane array technology to provide better images in fires for firefighters. Wow. Right? Like really cool. They're very, very yeah. expensive. Um, $2.8 million. Wow. $2.8 million worth of this equipment that he donated to the state of Colorado. So it was going to be used for all 58 fire departments within the state of Colorado. Paige's dad is quoted as saying that Rob is kind of like this Jekyll and Hyde and that we think of Rob as good Rob and bad Rob. 
And that there are times where Rob is just this really good, funny guy who's very bright, but that at other times, Rob is a very difficult person to be around. He can be violently angry, condescending, uh, and you walk on eggshells around him. There's like a lot of tension. Hmm. So I start Googling and we find out that Rob is in a lot more trouble than he let on. Um, he first made headlines, like I said, in 2002 with this donated fire equipment. Um, but basically what happened was he didn't actually buy the fire equipment that he donated it. He leased it and then he couldn't afford the lease payments anymore. And he ended up defaulting on the loans and leaving the city of Grand Junction with a $2 million bill for the what? equipment that he had donated. Yeah. So they're using this equipment, but he he just like rented it essentially and then gave it to them but hadn't actually paid and just gave them this rented Ooh. leased equipment and they that couldn't pay it and then the city sucks. had to pay it yeah that sucks now in my experience in watching true crime documentaries which is my job for tco because we recap them that means that he's trying to like get in good with the city that he this is all for show so that when like the real bad thing happens no one looks at Rob, because, well, he donated $2.8 million worth of really like life-saving equipment. How can he be the bad guy? That, in my experience, that's where it feels like this is going. Because like, who would scam the fire department who's trying to save lives? Right? From a board member. Like, none, what? No less, right? So this is what happens. In 2004, Rob is named Newsmaker of the Year in like the Grand Junction newspaper because... The fire district had failed to make its annual January payment to the city. And so they were able to gain access to their financial documents. And when they were able to gain access to the financial documents, they learned that for the past three years, under the direction of Rob Dixon, that the fire department had invested over $3 million, $3.24 million into a company called OTC America, which is a Rochester, New York internet service provider that Dixon was also a part owner of. <laughs> what? Right. Okay. Then OTC later changed its name to Envision, and now it's known as Espernet. So I Googled Espernet. Okay. Uh, and their, their website is giving GeoCities like is really, like really fake? bad. It's just a really, it's like, I feel like the freshman high school class, like in the web design class, Wait, made I'm the on website. Esper.net? Esper.net. It looks fake. <laughs> it's really bad, right? It, um, and it doesn't really say... Welcome to the Espernet IRC network, a place of friends, discussion, and fun. It's really weird. What? It's, I know, right? That's so strange. And But not like it matters with Paige. Like, the only person at fault here is the person who murdered Paige. But I'm right. just curious. I mean, do you think she knew that these, this sort of like, I mean, because I'm thinking if I'm going to marry someone, I kind of want to be able to understand what it is they do. Like, I hate that question. Like, oh, so what do you do? Like, it's so it's like stupid cocktail party, small talk. But if I'm marrying the guy, like, I kind of want to know what do you do? Was he lying to her, do you think? Or or he was just explaining it to her in some way where she was like, OK, I guess that makes sense. I'm not sure. I think yeah. she just was happy to be a mom and be yeah. not have to worry about like anything be provided for. Mom. Yeah. yeah, I get I it. I mean, you just maybe just don't ask those questions when when, you know, I've never been in that situation. Yeah, so I don't know. Fair enough. So the district lawyers for this 
They scramble to account for the missing money and they hire an investigator to track down the funds and the missing documents. And a seven hour deposition of Dixon by the fire district lawyers reveals that there was never any supporting documents between the fire district and the company formerly known as OTC America in which the fire district invested. So it's like very scammy, right? Yeah. Like there's no documentation. It's all very, very weird and hush hush. And then Dixon also reportedly acknowledged during the deposition that the fire district under his discretion had begun investing in OTC America after he had stopped investing his nonprofits foundations money in the company. So like he was investing all of his own nonprofits money into this corporation. And then the fire department started investing as well. So his nonprofit was called the Colorado EMS Foundation, and ultimately that foundation lost all $10 million that Dixon had invested in OTC. What a piece of shit. And that's what the deposition revealed. Because the, the fire department isn't going to, I mean, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, but when you get a $2.678 million donation with, again, this life-changing, saving technology, like no, and no one would think... To say like, well, in case this is a scam, let's do, I mean, and that's why he preyed on them really, you know, until, but I always wonder like, and I I think I asked you this too, when you were on Let the Women, like, what is the point? Like to what end these, do these people do this? And then the more I ask that, the more I realize like they don't think like that because it's just this compulsion to be scammy, but I'm sitting here being like, well, why are you like you? this can't last. Like this isn't sustainable. Right. So you're just going to steal this money and like almost do a great thing and then not do a great thing and then steal and lie and cheat. And I like, why? Well, because, you know, donating 2.3 million in helmets covers up the 10 million that you funneled to a right. scam. You I, I, it's just like, <laughs> like, or you could not do this and like, or like you could, there's also that option. Like you don't have to do this. Right. So, you know, Dixon resigns as the secretary of the fire district board in April 2004, as officials were trying to locate the money and the documents. And that same month, Dixon allegedly gets into a shoving match with a man who was serving legal papers to him in connection with the donation scandal. We find that the financial burden is just way too much for the family. And so Paige decides to go back to work in the adult industry. She goes back to being a dancer. Right. And Rob doesn't like this at all. And obviously it leads to frequent arguments. Right. So in October, unfortunately, the Mesa County Sheriff's Department is called to the Dixon home after he allegedly threatened his family members. And so on the 911 call, Paige is heard saying, my husband and I were in a fight and he was supposed to watch my children while I went to work. And as I was leaving, he didn't seem to be okay. So I said, I was just going to take the children with me. So he didn't have to deal with it, but he wanted the children to stay with him. And he said that I'd come home to find them all murdered. He said that to her. He said that to her. So she calls the police. That's from the 911 call. Um, But by the time the police and the local media arrive, the crisis was diffused and Dixon was allowed to leave after the authorities decided that he wasn't a threat to himself or anyone else. And no charges were ever filed. I am so sick of the authorities <laughs> just like decide, like doing this shit and just putting women at risk and in extreme life threatening situations and putting women in danger like this. It, I see it all the time and it is in the documentaries we cover. And it's truly maddening to just like he said with his own words that he was going to kill these people. And then the cops were like, well, he seems real nice to me. Or, you know, like he seems unassuming or he doesn't look like he'd do something like that. Or he's nice to me now. Like, can you just follow up? Can you stay for five extra minutes? 
I know it's five o'clock and you want to go home and eat your dinner or whatever, but like, can you stay two extra minutes to make sure this woman's safe or no? Right. No. Great. (laughs) Well, he looks fine. He doesn't look like he's going to kill his children anymore. So we're just going to mosey on over here. Us like, no. Oh my God. And, and what you say is exactly true because almost exactly one year later, Paige has to call the police again. And this time, Paige said that Dixon not only pushed her to the ground, but later punched her while she was holding their child. So the police arrest Rob for domestic violence, child abuse, and third-degree assault. Initially, Rob claims that he did nothing and alleged that Paige made it all up to make him look crazy. Uh, But eventually, he did plead guilty, and the judge only sentenced him to attend anger management classes. Have you ever heard the 911 calls that Nicole Brown Simpson made? She made several leading up to her murder. And I think it's the last one. She is so tired. And the way she says it, you know, who you know where we live. I, it's OJ. Like, you know, my name, like the fact that she's so exasperated because she's called for the same reason so many times. And they're asking her these follow ups and her voice uh, that that sound of exasperation in her voice is one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard, because she's just like, it's me again. You know this. He's doing he's doing it again. So if you could please maybe do something about it this time, that would be great. And I'm sure anger management is helpful because the guy has a lot of anger, but like we can't stop there. And that's like, come on, like there's nothing in place for Paige's safety. It's just like putting all the responsibility on this person who just needs to be have the, having the cops called on them over and over again. I don't really trust that he's going to make those moves to better himself. He doesn't feel like that kind of guy to me. No. And Paige agrees because in 2006, she divorces him. And even though it devastated her to see her family broken, because that's all she ever wanted, she goes ahead. She says, this is done. I'm done with you. And Rob packs up and he moves 2000 miles away to Philadelphia, leaves all three kids, everything. He just leaves. Yeah. So Paige is still in the house. $6,000 mortgage, right? She's got to handle all of this. She's got to be super mom. She's a single mom of three and she really needs the money. So we know she's dancing, but she also opens up a dance studio for kids. That's called brain dance. And she teaches dance lessons. She produced the recitals. She made the costumes. She choreographed the dance number. She did the whole thing. And then to further supplement her income, this is where the MLM comes in. She was selling Pampered Chef and she was also selling Maya baby wraps. She was like a distributor for them as well. So she had started selling Pampered Chef a few years earlier in 2004, but she sort of kicks it into high gear that now that she needs more money. We know Pampered Chef is an MLM. It sells kitchen items and bakeware, things like that. It's like William Sonoma or Sir Latob, uh, but make it a little more boss, babe. And Paige was a director with the company, which according to the compensation plan that I could find, which they call the Pampered Chef career plan, uh, director is the fourth rank and you need at least $750 in personal sales and $5,000 in team sales with at least five active team members underneath you to qualify each month. So that's the rank that Paige is at. She's got at least five people underneath her. She's selling at least 750 and uh, her team is doing at least 5,000. So that's sort of like where she's at. That's pretty decent. Like in an MLM, like you have quite a bit of responsibility at that level. Right. Because I was going to ask you, like, is so is Pampered Chef sort of the same structure as LuLaRoe, where it's mostly you? It's the more you recruit, the more money you make. It's not really about yeah. the it's not really about the product at all. No. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've had people from Pampered Chef on the show and, the, and they say, hey, 
The products are great. You know, we've talked about how they're inconsequential. They last forever, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's the same structure, the same recruit more, buy more and the same story at the end of the day. Right. So here she is. She's this pampered chef woman and she is regularly holding events in the neighborhood. Again, this is in 2007. And we've talked about like the early aughts on the show and before social media of internet. So this is not like having Facebook parties. Like this is her hosting parties in her home, hosting parties in the neighborhood, being the pampered chef lady in the neighborhood and people knowing who she is because she's the dance teacher and she's the pampered chef lady and she sells the baby slings and she's super nice and she's the soccer mom and she's everywhere, right? She's literally doing it all. Um, which is, I mean, what MLMs teach us, right? You right. can have it all. Can um, I ask it, you another question about yeah, MLMs? Of course. Do you do you think that at around this time, pre-social media, pre-selling things on Facebook Live, do you think they were less predatory or just the same on, on a different level? Just because there's like less competition, it feels like, if you're the person in the neighborhood and not competing with the internet? I think it's probably the same level of predatory. Right. But now it's exponential. Yeah. And now you can reach anyone anywhere from any time, any day. Right. Whereas previously it was like, you would send out postcards and you'd be like, come to my party. And then people would come and you'd have, it would be several hours and you'd have snacks and you could bring your kids. And it was this, it was like a a mom's day out on like a weekend or something. So it it seems less predatory. There usually were like activities or things to do. It seems more predatory now where it's just a link, like, oh, buy something. Here's a link. Whereas previously it was a lot more personal where you're coming into my home and I'm providing a demonstration and anything you might like more in tune with like old school Tupperware parties and things like that. Were Tupperware parties MLMs too? Yeah. Tupperware is an MLM too. Because the thing that's crazy is that like those parties, exactly what you're describing, where it was sort of like maybe invitations or more just like, Hey, like come and just look at these products or whatever. Like that, it was so mainstream for a time. Like I, not too long ago, I think it was, it was after I spoke to you. It was like at my parents' house, like they have cable and I was like flipping through the channels and there was an episode of everybody loves Raymond where it like, wasn't, it was a party where like one of the wife or Deborah or whatever was like having like, Oh, I'm going to have this big party party she was hosting someone else was selling the products but I was like that's an MLM like why are they doing this on a primetime show like what year did this come out but it felt like that wasn't even part of the story it was oh like some like someone in the fam. I don't know that's like such a dysfunctional family that show but I can't even remember what it was but like someone was like ruining the fact that Deborah like planned this thing and like she was embarrassed in front of the person who was like hosting the party and there was nothing about the fact that it was an MLM like it seemed so normal for oh, around like the two what that must have yeah. come out like in the early 2000s or early something 2000s. so it felt so like oh my god they think this is normal and I was like I was like mom dad like everyone this is an MLM like you should listen to you know because my mom is like oh with Roberta like yeah LuLaRoe because like, my parents listen to every episode of Let the Women um they're very excited I'm talking to you today but yeah so Hi, I was like no no, no. <laughs> they were like oh my god that's so crazy because my mom like knew someone who not like she just pampered chef was like a term that she like knew and my mom never went because she was like I don't need anything so like I'm not gonna go um and I was like well Roberta says mom if anyone ever needs anything just get hand them the twenty dollars don't buy the product just like give them the money like write them the check for the hundred bucks or whatever but I remember thinking like wow there was a time where it felt very mainstream and not predatory like it was on a sitcom 
And that, and it wasn't a joke. Like it wasn't part of the story. The fact that like there was some woman in your house selling these products. It's kind of like crazy to think about how far and scary it's come in all these years. It is really interesting that it was part of just like what was normally happening. It was like in the background family and not like a plot device. Other than it being something happening, right? I know. Because nowadays you see it on like Always Sunny or The Office or something like that. And there's always this like, that's a pyramid scheme. There's always somebody that's like- Where Jim draws the pyramid for Michael Scott in The Office. There's always somebody that's like, you know, that's a pyramid, right? But it's interesting for you to say that you watch this before really, I want to say like probably the last 10 years or so, there's been a lot more of a push. But before that, that it's just this very commonplace thing, which is, it goes right with what we talk about. Right. But like for like suburban moms, you know what I mean? Like, that's what, that's the whole thing about that show. Like the family is super dysfunctional and horrible and toxic and abusive, but like, they're also just like normal, like working class, you know, they're in Queens, New York, and it's just, you know, the mom and the kids and the whatever. And like, it really knowing what I know now is it was it felt like I was watching I might it might as well be an episode of the Twilight Zone that's how it felt for me like how normalized it was you're like is this everyone loves black mirror what am right. I watching here is this that episode <laughs> of the Twilight Zone where like she wait she was like pretty in one life and then she wakes up and she's surrounded by pigs and she's the ugly one like what where am I where am I Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. 
Their quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com MLM for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash M-L-M to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash M-L-M. So super another tangent, but an an MLM story that I remember watching as a child. I don't know if you remember, but there was this very short lived creepy show called Eerie Indiana on TV in like the 90s. I know of it because I thought it was a great name, but I never watched it. It It came in and out as fast. It it was like, (laughs) what happened? It appeared. I, I loved it. I'm literally the person it was made for. And there was an episode and it was like a Tupperware episode. And the the kid in the neighborhood, the mom was like the Tupperware lady. And she was always so perfectly perfect. And like the kid in the show is like, what's wrong with your mom, man? Like, this is so weird. Like she never ages. And like, he sneaks into the house and he finds out that she like sleeps in a life-size Tupperware to keep herself like <gasps> pure and, and like fresh. Like and air, I remember that as a what do they call it? Like vacuum sealed. It. Yeah, it was like <laughs> yeah. the little burp, like boop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh she my god! Slept in a giant like Tupperware coffin. It was an episode of Erie, Indiana. I wonder if anybody else listening. Has, I have to look into that, that show. One. <laughs> Find it now. Yeah, I had. I just had another tangent. I think oh, tangent I, away. I was just thinking because I remember when you were on Let the Women, I was like, yeah. Are you shocked that no one's ever approached me to join an MLM? And I was thinking about it today, and I think. I was once a long time ago and I was like, this sounds weird. So I used to be an actor and um, doing like commercials and sketch comedy stuff and whatever. And um, my agents, my agents had people who work for them, like their assistants. And I remember there was one of them who left the business. And then a few months later, she reached out to me and she was like, hey, you know, do you like I can, I wish I could maybe I could find the message and read it to you. But it was very like, hey, I have like a discount for some kind of like fitness thing, because when you're an actor, like I don't believe in it anymore. But at the time I was young and I was like, I have to stay like fit and in shape and, you know, or else like I'm worthless. <laughs> she sort of was like, oh, this like home workout thing or whatever. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. So like, what are the is it just like classes? Is it like a class pass or like, what's the deal? And then she was like, no, no, no. So you, and she basically was like, no. So I recruit you and you recruit other people. Like she was not good at the pitch at all. And I was like, oh, I thought you were like teaching these fitness classes. And then I would just 
go, but that's not, oh, you want me like involved? Like, no, no, no. I would show up at two o'clock on a Wednesday if you were doing like a cardio class, but that's how she pitched it and then totally changed it when I was like, yeah, like what's the schedule like? And then she was like, no, 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 no. So you would be part of it. I was like, what do you think? First of all, I'm teaching fitness classes, like never in a million years would I ever do that. Um, But then I was like, oh, no, thanks. And she was like, okay, well, if you're ever interested, like this is a great business to, um, what do they always say, Roberta, where it's like to, to sub, to supplement your, like what you're doing, you know, because, you know, being an actor, you kind of never know. And instead of bartending and blah, blah, blah. So I think I was, I was approached once by someone who didn't know any better. Basically. I'm pretty sure that was to body. I'm pretty sure. Like let me tell you 9% sure that was Beachbody. That, but this was, I mean, I would say maybe 12 years ago, if I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah, I hate Beachbody so much. Yeah. I hate it. Was it was definitely Beachbody. 12 years ago, they were pushing uh the DVDs, which are like the okay. workout DVDs, like the Pio and like the P90X or whatever, those. Okay. And then they also started their Beachbody on demand, which was like their streaming. They call it the Netflix of workouts. Give me a break. And it's a streaming service. Um, it's what you see like on the commercials, like late at night, where it's like Beachbody on demand. And it's like yeah. people working out. Yeah, like riding the, like stationary bikes and stuff. Yeah. The thing I hate about Beachbody the most, and you know, like I was like, Roberta, I hate Beachbody. I told you that like before we even started recording with the women. I was like, hi, I'm Jillian. Thanks for coming. Do you know anything about Beachbody? Because I hate them. The reason I hate Beachbody, maybe more than any other MLM, um, just from afar, is because it's it's as predatory as every other one and it's manipulative and and it's not about women's empowerment. It's not about that. But the the way they promote and enforce uh, disordered eating and feeling bad about like the whole point is that you feel bad about yourself or like, cause sometimes I stumble onto it on Instagram or like beach body talk or whatever. And I'm like transfixed because these women, it's like sad because they truly believe that like they used to be lazy. They used to be this. And like, if I'm sitting here scrolling on my phone, like that's my choice to be lazy. And that's my choice to not be fit. And that's my, and it's like, this is like really detrimental, not just to your bank account, but like to your soul, to your bones that like, you are not just promoting leggings or, you know, Tupperware or just like an item you're also telling people that they're like not as good as you or that they should feel bad about themselves or that they're not working hard enough or they're not pretty enough or they're not thin enough or they're not fit enough. And that's the thing. Like women have it hard enough. Like we are up against it and we, it, we don't need any help feeling bad about ourselves. And I just think that like they're preying on that too. And that makes me crazy. I'm clenching my fist. Oh my God. It makes yeah. me so mad. It's so, cause it's really, they're giving women disordered eating. Like it, you can't, it's like, I just, it, I I don't know how no one has like stopped it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary to me. That, no, like, you that hit the nail can on the flourish. head. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's absolutely true. It's, they're one of the worst. Them, Optavia, that's another bad one. Is that uh, a workout thing too? No, that's just literally expensive starvation diet. Like you just spend all your money on these disgusting little cardboard things and uh, their snacks, like you can have one snack a day from their approved snack list. No. And like one of the options is a stick of sugar-free gum is your snack for the day or like what? a pickle spear. Yeah. Like or people are going to die, Roberta. Like yeah. people are going to end up in the hospital because they're malnourished and they're not yeah. eating and they're working out too hard. And they're, I mean, that's like super dangerous. Yeah. And that's what happens. And in fact, on Optavia, and, and this is a selling point, like they've twisted it to make it a selling point. Like it's the diet you don't even have to work out on. And it's, it's not really, it's so, 
basically it's you're eating so few calories that you physically are not able to work out because you will exert too many calories and it's not good. It's that like you're eating so few calories that you should not be exerting any extra energy. And so what like, are you paying you don't even for? Have to, you don't even have to work out on it. I mean, that's terrifying that like yeah. you, you burn enough calories just existing because yes. you're not eating anything. Yes. yes. Yeah. What are you paying for then? Like how do like they make a, money? A sensible shake and a and a piece of cardboard? cardboard snack and a pickle that you have to buy yourself. The pickles are you got to buy the pickles. Yeah, I it's love pickles, insane. but I'm eating them next to a gigantic sandwich. That's I know. What's I was like, it's got turkey, bacon, avocado on it. It's delicious, and there's probably more than one pickle. Like I probably have the whole pickle. It's just it's wild to me what these companies like tell us. And what mm-hmm. we believe and what we perpetuate to others yeah. who trust us and love us and believe. Right. And even Horrible. now, like around this time, it's like, you know, a lot of holiday, like the holidays are coming up in a couple months and, you know, you have to like earn <laughs> the big meals and you have to earn dessert and you have to like, oh, well, I deserve it. Cause I, you know, like burned X amount of calories today. You deserve it because you're alive. Like eat right. it, eat mm-hmm. the pizza. If I don't care if it's Tuesday, you eat it. Right. Like it's, it's so like that, even just that, um, that mindset of like, Ooh, no, no, no. I'm going to save it for the weekend. No, no, no. I'm going to save it. And there is of course, like you need like nutrients. I get, you know, <laughs> I, I wish I could eat pizza all the time. I know that it's healthy. I feel better and it's healthier if I have like fruits and vegetables, but I'm not going <laughs> to not eat the grape because it has too much quote sugar in it. I'm eating the right? grape because it's fruit. Like I'm not, I'm not going to pick and choose. Like that's ridiculous. It's so it's silly. And, anyway. and it's, everything it just it all it all comes it's a funnel right it all funnels down into it but yeah yeah anyway end of tangent um or i don't know we'll see end of first tangent right 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 um so back to Paige, right so she's doing all of these things and if you would catch her when she was busy you would get her voicemail and her voicemail was sounds like this hello you've reached the home offices for brain dance pampered chef and maya baby rap slings please leave a message and i will get back to you within the next few days so, I mean, this woman's hustling, right? Right. She's yeah. got multiple strings of income. She knows what's going on. She's got all these things happening, right? She's a very busy mom working all these jobs. She's still showing up to the PTA meetings. She's still making the teacher conferences. She's still showing up to the play groups and everything else that she has to do as a mom. And it's really that you really can't have it all MLM lifestyle, right? She's mm-hmm. like in it. And things are working out for her. Like they're good. And she's feeling like she's got this really great life with her kids. But in the spring of 2007, she starts worrying a lot. Uh, She's very paranoid and she feels like someone is out to get her. She believes that something horrible is going to happen to her family. Mm. She's just like very scared for a myriad of reasons. So on June 22nd, 2007, Paige goes to a pool party at her best friend's house, and she seems very disturbed. She thinks that her ex-husband, Rob, is going to hurt her and take her kids away. And her friend assures her that she's just being paranoid, that things are okay, that Rob doesn't even live in Grand Junction. He's in Philly, 2,000 miles away, and she's safe. She's just being paranoid. The next Tuesday on the 26th, four days later, she goes on a girls' night out trip with her Grand Junction Moms Club that she's a member of at a bar. And her friends of that group notice that she's acting off and sad and worried. And it's just very not like Paige at all. Mm -hmm. But then a week later, on June 28th, she calls her friend Andrea 
and she's very cheerful and she's like very excited about something. And she reveals that she's actually going to meet up with her first husband, Ron, for a picnic date that they have been talking since her divorce and they've rekindled this romance. Ron is older, you know, he's not as scared and he's willing to see where this goes. Right. So Paige is really, really excited and they decide that they're going to meet up. She still loves him, still has feelings for him. And she assumes that it's destiny. And because at first he didn't want the kids and the family. And now he is saying, I changed my mind and now I do. Okay. Got it. Well, I I don't know if it's necessary that he changes his mind like about that, but I think he was so young, right? Like five, six years earlier that he was like, this is not what I want. Like I want to be a 22 year old guy that's out partying and having a good time. He's missing his first love. He's missing the person that he was like, she got me. She understood me. Like, I want this. I want to be with her again. Here's my opportunity. Like she got divorced. This is my opportunity yeah. to get her back, right? Right. Um, so this like unrequited love of, oh, my first love, it comes back. And they decide to meet in Eagle, Colorado, which is literally just halfway between Grand Junction, where she lives, and Denver, where he's at. It's like two hours in between. Uh, they go to Subway. I Googled this because I, I found an article talking uh, uh, that was Ron was talking about the last day. And so he wanted to he sort of recapped this and he said that they had gone to subway which i thought was really cute and they had picked out sandwiches together and that they drove to the river and they sat by the river and they ate subway sandwiches and they just talked and laughed and reconnected and they were like this was so great and ron said that it was like one of the best days that he that he ever had and now it's just a dark mark on his life wow After their date, Paige drives back to Grand Junction and Ron goes back to Denver and they're calling each other on the phone in between little breaks. They have one last chat on the phone and it's a check-in and Paige is very close to Grand Junction and I think he was pulling into Denver and he's like, call me back when you get home and settled in and let me know you're safe. And that was the last time anybody ever heard from her. The next day, Ron is calling her, calling her, calling her and it keeps going just straight to voicemail, which um, worried him a lot because she always had her phone on. She never turned her phone off. It never went dead. She always made sure that it was charged because of her kids. And she wanted to make sure they had a live-in nanny and she wanted to make sure that there was any problems. The live-in nanny could always get to her. She could always have communication with her children. So he was really concerned But for some reason, he didn't call the house. He only called her cell phone. But when Paige didn't come home, her children also did the same. And they were calling her and the same. Her kept going straight to voicemail. And so Paige's eight-year-old daughter, Jess, and their stay-and-live-in nanny went to the police that day. And they registered a formal complaint that she was missing. And then a couple days later, Ron called the house looking for her. They broke the news. I said, she never came home after her date with you. We haven't seen her. We've contacted the police. We have a missing persons report. Nobody has seen her. And Ron gets really nervous uh, and he starts being even more worried. Right. So the police, obviously the first person that they uh, interrogate is Ron because he was the last person to see her alive. Um, and he told the police everything that had happened that, that day. They, the police checked his phone records. They checked everything and they concluded that he wasn't a suspect and he was cleared. So Ron is not the murderer. Mm-hmm. On July 1st, 2007, so a couple of days later, the police get a dispatch call about a burning car. And by the time the police reached the scene, the car was 
almost completely burnt. And the forensic team identified the car as Paige's car. It was a 2005, I think, Ford Focus. And at this point, they knew that the missing person's case was now definitely foul play. And it leads the police to believe that Paige was murdered, but they still have no body. And they noticed that the driver's seat was pushed back really far. And Paige was not very tall. I think she was like 5'4 or something. And the seat was pushed back really far for someone that was like over six foot to be sitting in it. And that the fire had started in the passenger seat, which they assumed Paige would have been sitting in. Uh, And they found her day planner in the trunk, which for some reason, the trunk had pretty much not burned anything. And it was completely fine. The trunk saved it. And um, the last four days of her planner had been like ripped out. So the planner was intact, even though the car was burned and they, whoever ripped out the pages. Right. So four pages are missing. The last four days of Paige's life are missing. So the police decide they're going to start talking to her friends, right? They hit up the Grand Junction Moms Club and they say, you know, we went out that night and she was very distraught. She was not her lively self and she had been acting strange. And then they start looking into this, the Pampered Chef community. And this is where it gets pretty interesting. So she had expressed concerns about her ex-husband in the Pampered Chef online community. So again, like this is before Facebook. This is before there were Facebook groups where you would just be in your Facebook group talking to your team. And this is the bad ex who threatened her and her children. Yes. Okay. So she's complaining about her, her bad ex that had assaulted her in the Pampered Chef online community. There's a Pampered Chef website. It's still up. I used it as one of my sources and got quite a bit of information. Um, It's called chefsuccess.com. And Paige was a very active member of it. I don't know if people are still using it. They probably switched over to Facebook, but the website still exists. It's a Pampered Chef consultant support community. It's like a a baby center, like a forum type thing. Very like old school. And her fellow consultants got a front row seat to her fears concerning her second ex-husband, Rob. Uh, three months before she disappeared, Paige wrote in a, a, a post that's now gone, my children would ask me if dad was going to kill me. I can't imagine what they were thinking life would be like after he killed me. She posted this in a public online Pampered Chef community. Can you imagine like what she must have been going through to post that on the pampered chef message board like really and again i i it's interesting that i keep like just thinking about nicole brown simpson but also and women do this all the time like if something bad happens to me look at the husband look at this i mean nicole had notes in safe deposit boxes she had notes all over the house that she was hiding so that like when it inevitably happened to her like as she was thinking that they'd find it and so to say that on it on a forum that is not just it, it's weirdly anonymous because a lot of people feel a lot of strength from a keyboard and sometimes that can be good and sometimes that could be bad but Paige felt safe enough to go to this community to really scream for help I mean to say that like pampered chef where everything is supposed to be what you're selling is that you have this amazing life and for her to be really honest that she was terrified I think is really kind of groundbreaking and really important that she did that yeah and then Two weeks before she goes missing, she learned that Rob would be moving back to Colorado and she posted this. My kids and I have been so happy and free and safe since their dad moved 2000 miles away. This is a bit close for my comfort. And that post is still actually up. And what are the responses to these posts? People saying like, oh, like, good luck. Fingers crossed. I mean, no one is. Is anyone saying anything other than just sort of kind of uh, really basic 
like well wishes basically yeah it's like oh we hope you're okay you know like it's it's not like you should call the cops or anything like that it's it's just very interesting you're right so she's posting this but there were people that were paying attention i just don't think they were saying too much at the time but there were definitely people that were like oh i remember her posting about that oh i remember her complaining about that after her disappearance the community had daily updates and threads on page starting back as far as july 2nd four days after she went missing. And the first post that I could find said, Paige Dixon from chefsuccess.com has been missing since Thursday from Grand Junction, Colorado. Everyone, please pray for her family and the community. I captured screenshots of all of the relevant posts from Paige and forwarded them to the Mesa County Sheriff's Office. And then from that started an entire thread on this website that was about Paige and trying to find her. And multiple chefers, as they affectionately call themselves on the thread, checked in on the case daily and defended her in threads about recent press. They would say things like, this is such crap. First of all, she is not a person who felt she didn't fit in with her community. And how convenient that they did not mention that her second ex-husband was a financial fuck up and more than likely left her with all sorts of debt. Or how about the fact that she was a mother desperately just trying to make ends meet? And then some were not so helpful. (laughs) Uh, We got the jealous Hunbots in here that were like, it seems strange that HO wouldn't shut down her website and redirect people to a site that is viable in case people really have Pampered Chef needs. Too bad Pampered Chef is getting some notoriety, but in the wrong way. And then someone responded to that and said, any publicity is good publicity. They're saying it all out loud, Roberta. They're saying saying all the bad shit out loud. She's missing. Right. She's missing. What, and they're like, you what was should put so- my website on there in case people need a new vegetable peeler. No one needs a new vegetable peeler. It's you're fine. Someone is missing. Oh, my God. Like a real one of your fellow chefers is missing. Right. That is crazy. That is really, really fucked up. Right. So on July 14th, a massive search party with over 150 volunteers. Remember, she was loved in this community. She was like super mom, right? They searched for Paige's remains. About 10 miles away from Paige's burned car, the team finds some of her belongings, including credit cards, checks, an empty checkbook, business cards, and her children's medical cards that were just strewn about on this highway. But there is no sign of Paige at all. So a couple of days later on the 17th, Uh, Right after the Pampered Chef convention happened in Chicago, at this time, the case is getting national attention, right? So a bunch of chefers come back from the convention in Chicago, and they post this and says, this story made national headlines quite a while ago. Last night at my cluster meeting, a cluster is like a group of local Pampered Chef people like coming together. They don't have to be on the same team, Uh, but at their cluster meeting, I mentioned the situation and it turned out that nobody in my cluster knew anything about Paige. Several of them had just returned from conference and she says that she couldn't make it, but they didn't know anything about Paige either. I would have thought that the higher ups at Pampered Chef would have made some sort of announcement at conference like let's keep Paige Birchfell in her family in our thoughts or something, but apparently they did not. This is surprising since it seems that Pampered Chef prides itself on its supposed support for its quote unquote family of employees and consultants. I can't help but wonder if the quote unquote bad press has anything to do with the company's decision to not announce anything. If so, that's pretty uh, interesting. Feel free to substitute your own derogatory terms to say the least. That's horrible. That's that's like cruel and mean. And that's really, really awful. 
right? So then someone responds and says, I don't suppose I should have expected otherwise of a corporation that bases its entire image on quote unquote family values. How naive of me to think that part of family values included valuing your family. I mean, but isn't that always the way it's like the same playbook where it's just, you know, whatever you can, whatever the equivalent of like Insta versus reality Right. You know, back then it's the same thing. They don't really care. It really only matters like how it reflects on the company and nothing else. That's really, really sick. So she's got these people who are defending her, even not even just into the press, but in the company themselves. And then we get this comment that says, that's not it. We have over 60,000 consultants. Every single day of the year, one of our consultants is coping with something, be it a sick child, losing a spouse or parent, suffering a miscarriage, being diagnosed with cancer, a missing relative, etc. If HO addressed every single issue for every single consultant publicly, they'd have no room in newsletters to talk about business. You can bet your bippy the Bergfeld family has heard from Doris or Marla. But if they went public at NC, this the convention, asking mm-hmm. for a prayer or good thoughts for Paige... Then the 10 consultants who were diagnosed with cancer this year and the 40 who suffered a death in the family and the one whose niece was abducted last winter, they'd all be crying foul. Well, first of all, a lot. (laughs) First of all, that is, again, horrifying. But also it's like a lot of those things are personal journeys that maybe people don't want in the newsletter but the niece who was abducted and the woman who's missing like that yes we should talk about I don't care if there's not enough room in the newsletter for the vegetable peelers like we should be talking about missing people and dangerous stuff like I can totally understand if someone doesn't want a cancer diagnosis or a miscarriage or some very personal plight in the newsletter but when someone is in physical danger like yeah I think we should all rally and help that I mean, make you make the newsletter one page longer so that you could fit in the blender or whatever it is. But like, right. we should be caring about people. It shouldn't be that hard. Right. And Especially it was honestly someone saying it's about family values and it, we're a family here and we love everybody. Like, And in the most cynical way of looking at it, that would prove that, like, look how much they care about people. Look how much they care about family. Look how much they care about all this because they put it in the newsletter. Like, even if you don't believe it, it's good business to care about the people in your company. Like, Absolutely. Oh, my God. These the people. fact that someone like took over the comments with this like canned response and being like, well, what about the sick people? And what about deaths in other people's families just to defend Pampered Chef? Like it's it's in, it's, it's crazy. Just, it's it's wild. Like right? that's the hill you're going to die on, really? Right. I, because they're proving that if something horrible happened to this woman, they wouldn't care. So like you're proving, you know what I mean? Like they wouldn't right. care about this person who's defending them. They don't give a shit at all. But like a top consultant who's missing and a consultant who might have something going on in her life. It's not even close to being the same thing. Like just the comparisons that this woman is even giving to defend the fact that Pampered Chef hasn't said anything about this murdered or well, at least missing at this time person. Yeah. I mean, it should have been one of the first things that they even said. One of our own is missing. Please keep her in her thoughts. Like how hard is that to say? I know. I know. So like they investigate Paige's computer and her phone and they find something that they weren't expecting. And this is where this case takes the biggest left turn ever. 
So they find out that Paige had been offering secret escort services under an alias named Carrie, and that she had even started her own escort company in 2005 called Models Incorporated. And there's a now defunct website called NaughtyNightlife.com that included a page for Carrie, a 29-year-old female who offers services including escort, erotic massage, private dancing, groups, and parties. And she says she's willing to travel within Colorado and neighboring states by chartered jet only. And the page for Carrie also includes comments posted by four different men who claim to have recently received her services. Uh, And they say, I mean, and this is really gross. So content warning here. One, uh, her picture does not do her justice. She is a sexy goddess. Two, I am in love. I wish I could see her every day. Three, this is the one that made me gag in my mouth. Rating four out of five stars. Like this is a human person. Okay. Not like a Lego set. Uh, Yeah. Carrie is simply a very gorgeous woman, a little bit pricey. If you have the money, she's worth every dime. (gasps) So those are the comments left on her page, her escort page. And no judgment for her choice of employment. Sessions with Carrie could include stripping, dancing, and role-playing. And on one website, she suggests that clients can pay for extras, such as topless and nude massages. And the shocking reveal of the double secret life is that even fewer like had known that Paige had been a stripper, right? So like, it's like this really shocking reveal because most people didn't know that she had Mm -hmm. even been a stripper at any point. And those that did know that believed that it was in her past and that she had moved on from being in the adult entertainment industry. Also, because she now had a very fairly public life with her MLM parties and her dance classes and all of this stuff as well. So she was really keeping this under wraps. Paige was overwhelmed with debt. She had three children. Her ex-husband was bankrupt. He was only paying her $500 a month in child support. She had a $6,000 mortgage. And her friends said that Paige had to do what she had to do. And she turned to the one job that she knew would pay her very well. Yeah. I mean, look, sex work is work, but don't be creepy about it, people. <laughs> like, don't don't talk about this human being like she's a commodity or like she's not a real person because she is. So don't do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sex work is real work. In desperate attempts, the police brought in more search dogs to search the area where they found her car. And this time, the search dogs picked up on a scent that led them to a parking lot across the street where there was an RV shop. The DA said that he thinks that she was probably murdered by one of her clients once this evidence came out. Also, her ex-husband that she was terrified of was in Philadelphia and has proof that he was there. And so he's like, I couldn't have done this. I was 2000 miles away. So he was also cleared. So the last call that Paige made was to Ron at nine, but then she received several calls after that, that were potential clients. And that included a call from George Coraluzo, a 30-year-old house painter who called Paige 20 times on the day that she disappeared and then left town real fast two days after her disappearance. Hmm. And another was a man named Jim, quote unquote Jim, who called Paige while she was visiting Ron in Eagle Rock. And it turns out that Jim had called Paige two times in the day and twice in the evening of the day that she went missing. And all of those calls were made from a prepaid track phone. Mm. So the police trace the number and find out that the track phone was purchased two days earlier at a Walmart. So the district attorney says the track phone in its entire history only had five phone calls to and from it. The first phone calls were placed from Paige's phone. 
So Paige calling in. And then the last one was calling out to Paige. And after that, the track phone went dead and it never placed another call. Hmm. So the detectives finally managed to find this Jim guy and his name is not Jim. Uh, he's a 56 year old husband and father of two grown sons. And his name is Lester Ralph Jones. And he happens to be six foot five. Yeah. So according to investigators, there is a surveillance video from a local Walmart showing a man that looks just like him buying a track phone. Uh, and Lester and Paige did know each other. Lester was one of Paige's clients, but she was afraid of him and she wanted nothing to do with him. The police suspected Lester and started digging into his life. And it turns out that Lester works at that RV shop that the dog sniffed out across mm. the street from the burned out car. Weird. Yeah. It's yeah. so weird. Uh, not at all what we expected, right? Yeah. Shocking behavior. Oh um, and the DA said that the fact that her car was burning so close to his place of employment is at least one significant fact and that common sense certainly would indicate that it's something more than just a coincidence. So the police start looking into Lester and they find out that he has a previous criminal record. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. He was arrested for two incidents involving his estranged wife, Lisa, in 1999. In one of them, he threatened to take her someplace remote and kill her. And then he served three years in prison after pleading guilty to kidnapping and assault charges, both of those, which are felonies. They search Lester's personal belongings and they find um, some information and in handwritten notes about other escorts, like what their bra sizes are and what type of sex that they would or wouldn't have. Yeah. Disgusting. He also has track phone packaging uh, in his office for the same type of track phone that was purchased uh, and used to call Paige. And he has bras that happen to be the same size that Paige wears. And he had other suspicious items, including a gas can that his boss said was out of place and shouldn't have been there at all. A stash of Viagra, sex articles, two men's wigs, and a pampered chef food scale. Well, there it is, right? Come on. So, yeah. So I looked it up. And the Pampered Chef food scale is $35 and you can get a very basic one for under $10, like at Target, Walmart, Amazon, right? right? So there is no reason that that man should have a Pampered Chef product in his office right? unless I mean, he bought them from Paige. There's right. just no way. You, you can see where this is going, right? There's just no way. There's no way. There's no way. Some weird, creepy dude that works like as a mechanic in an RV shop has a Pampered Chef food scale. Yeah, I mean, that has on, a, right? a very meticulous. He, I, I don't like that he has all these like this information on these women. And it's just he's so creepy. It's so, so creepy, creepy. Right. So they bring him in for questioning and they ask him to leave his cars for analysis so they can go through them. And while they inspect it, they find nothing, but they give him a call and they say, hey, you can come pick up your cars. But he says something really weird that makes them question him and suspect him even more. So Sergeant Smith calls and says, this is Art Smith, the sheriff's office, just calling to let you know that we have both of your cars ready for you and your wife. And he sort of mumbles something and he says, I, Mr. Jones, I'm not following you. And Lester goes, 
you asked me where I would bury a body. And Sergeant Smith goes, I'm sorry. What? And he goes, you asked me where I would bury a body. And Sergeant Smith says, when did I ask you that? And then Lester goes, um, and goes silent. And the Sergeant goes, Mr. Jones, are you there? So <sighs> then he stops responding and his wife takes the phone and she explains to them that he's been taking some sleeping pills and he doesn't understand what he's saying. Oh, also his wife. Right. His <laughs> wife. And they find out that he actually attempted to overdose and kill himself and had left a note for his wife saying, I didn't do this. What? So strange, right? The strangest behavior. Yeah. That's the note said, odd. my dearest love, I prayed all night. And this morning I've asked for his forgiveness. Tell the cops to get fucked. I never did it, but I can't be railroaded. Why are you asking for forgiveness then? Right. Because you so, did it weird. Right. So here are some facts. Uh, the car was found in the parking lot across the street from where he worked. The seat was pushed back to accommodate someone that was much taller than Paige, who was 5'4", and Jones is 6'5". Mm -hmm. And there's the track phone. It only made five phone calls in its entire history, and all five of those calls were either to or from Paige's phone. And despite his denials that he owned a phone, they found a surveillance video of him buying the phone. There was the packaging in his office, and they had very much evidence to prove that that was a lie. Uh, they said, we have video evidence of Mr. Jones buying the track phone at the Walmart. We have computer records showing the exact date, time, store, and register that the track phone was purchased at. And we have pulled the surveillance video and it was Mr. Jones purchasing it. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's just, you know, it's so sad to me that like Paige was just, she ran into, like so many women do, ran into these situations over and over again where she felt unsafe around these people and no like there was no recourse for her like no one was listening even though she was saying it you know and her husband would like tell anyone who would listen like that ex-husband of hers like everyone knew he was violent he actually said like he would kill her and I know that he didn't do this but like he's still trash and I hope that like no other women have fallen victim to him honestly but she was creeped out by this Lester guy and there was like nothing for her to do about it no like it's just so sad to me that like she must have felt so helpless and hopeless that no matter what she says or what she does, no one is paying attention to how unsafe she feels and how unsafe she was. Like, that's so heartbreaking. Nobody listens to women. It's so frustrating. It's so I sad. Know. It's so sad. And despite all of this suspicious evidence, the police can't charge Lester because they don't have a body and the Ugh. case goes cold. But Meanwhile, the Sheffers are continuing to update the community on Paige, right? And on June 10th, 2008, so like a year later, Pampered Chef Corporate makes a post on Chef Success about the 48 Hours episode about Paige that was about to air. And this is from Gene Jonas, the Senior Vice President of Sales, who says, please feel free to share this with your downlines. Hello. I want to make you aware of a national news coverage regarding one of our consultants, Paige Dixon, a consultant from Colorado who went missing last year and her disappearance is being investigated by law enforcement. The CBS program 48 Hours is scheduled to air a show tonight about Paige and is promoting the show as The Secret Life of Paige Bergefeld, referencing to Paige by her maiden name. The Pampered Chef was not contacted by 48 Hours or law enforcement agencies, and we do not know the content of the segment other than what's been advertised. We simply want to make you aware, because consultants who see the show may be concerned. Please assure them that our thoughts and prayers are with Paige and her family, and we continue to hope for her safe return home. And then someone named Chef Becky D replies, Wow, a year later. 
And Pampered Chef is acknowledging Paige's disappearance. Right. And also, chef- the last thing we need right now are thoughts and prayers, Pampered <laughs> Chef. Like, if I never hear that phrase again, it'll be too soon. And Chef Becky D has not been active on Chef Success since 2015. So I hope she left and didn't just go to Facebook. Yeah. But in 2012, five years after Paige went missing, a hiker finds a skull on a trail in Delta County in a dry creek bed 60 miles south of where searchers had previously found a trail of Paige's personal items scattered along the highway. And a team of forensic examiners soon find more bones strewn across a mile long stretch of the creek. And with dental records, they were quickly able to determine that they did belong to Paige Birchfeld. Mm-hmm. So her skeletal remains are found 60 miles away. Wow. The team also inferred that her fractured jawbone and duct taped skull and badly fractured cheekbone that she most likely was beaten to death. Oh. I know it's 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 terrible right by now the chief deputy district attorney is on the case Dan Rubenstein so Dan Rubenstein the DA says there were people that were in that area time after time over a five-year period from 2007 to 2012 so her body must have been buried pretty deep at least deep enough to have been hidden from all the people going by The duct tape was around the skull and suggested that Paige may have been tied and gagged. Knowing where she had been found now helped explain all of the objects that had been discovered initially. It says the reality is that we don't know how Paige died exactly. But what we do know is that she was kidnapped. And we do know this because the items that were strewn along Highway 50. And we know also because of the duct tape. You don't duct tape a person who's already deceased. Mm. So the checks, business cards, driver's license, other documents... Uh, that Paige had thrown out the window with her children's name on it. They assume that she was doing that um, to deliberately create a trail to find out wherever she had been taken. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, 60 miles later is where it stopped. So two years later in November 2014, more than seven years after Paige went missing, the police finally charge Lester for murder and kidnapping. And when they arrest Lester, he's not surprised at all. In fact, it seemed like he knew it was about to happen, right? And he was incredibly cooperative. Uh, His trial began in July 2016, nine years after her disappearance and murder. At the trial, his wife, Elaine Jones, testified that she was crushed that her husband had paid for prostitutes because all of these things that he had done, the kidnapping, the setting car on fire, everything had been done on nights where his wife was out of town. So he literally had just been left alone and this is what he had done. So she was crushed. Wait, Um, she's only crushed about the fact that he paid for sex workers, not that he's a murderer well this i think this next part might okay might Sorry. answer that <laughs> i was like uh, okay. she was crushed but she remained married to him because of her christian faith great so i i'm not sure um said so yeah. she wasn't able to give her husband an alibi during the crucial hours when Paige went missing or when her car went up in flames either she was out of town elaine jones also identified her husband in the security camera video from walmart where he was seen purchasing the track phone that he had denied buying and then his ex-wife testified against him as well, citing his violent behavior and his ability to murder people. Um, and the defense squashed her claims as there was no physical evidence tying Lester to Page's murder, no physical evidence. So instead, Jones' lawyers focused on their final argument that there were most likely five other men that could have done it that were never pursued. 
So they're um, just going to drag Paige so through he the mud was, and just yeah. shame her for being a sex worker. Absolutely. Perfect. Right. Perfect. Um, and so they used, their defense was basically just deficient investigation. Uh, that saying that there were other people they never looked into, but rightfully so, they didn't really need to. It was pretty obvious. After 22 days of exhaustive testimony from dozens of witnesses and closing arguments, the jury was unable to reach a verdict. It was nine to three in favor of guilt, and a mistrial was declared on September 9th, no. 2016. I know, right? Ah, uh, that's what I'm telling you. It's like I was like, ah, like just keep going. It just keeps going. And then I loved this quote because it's what we were saying as well. The DA says, every life matters. And it bothers me that the idea that people might think that just because Paige led this double life that she didn't deserve justice. Yeah. And so DA Rubenstein decides that he's going to take another shot at it. And on uh, November 21st, 2016, just 10 weeks after the mistrial. So the DA says that he decided to listen to what the jury had told him about the first case and what was important mm-hmm. to them. And then focus this case on the right things this time. So he realized that Lester was trying to get a hold of Paige on a Monday. And so they went looking for evidence on a Monday. And they pull up surveillance video on closed circuit television of Paige's workplace. And they see a white Chevy Impala that's like obsessively circling the building at the same time that Lester was trying to get a hold of Paige. And you can see someone in the car, like on the phone. Lester didn't own a white Chevy Impala, but his wife who was out of town, she did. So he was driving his wife's car who was out of town on the phone with Paige, harassing her at her place of business, circling her workplace. And so they were able to use this in the second case after five weeks of trial and just days before Christmas in 2016, the jury deliberated for four days and found Lester guilty on all counts. He was charged with first degree murder, felony murder, second degree murder for knowingly causing the death of Paige and kidnapping. And Lester was sentenced to a life in prison without the possibility of parole. But he continues to maintain his innocence and his lawyers have promised to appeal. He believes his conviction was based on circumstantial evidence and he argues that there is no physical evidence to tie him to the crime. He's also asking for his kidnapping sentence to be vacated and for the kidnapping conviction to merge with the felony murder conviction. But D.A. Rubenstein said that ultimately through a mountain of circumstantial evidence that they were able to determine that Lester Jones was the only person who could have done it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it took it took us long enough to get here, but I'm glad we're here and that guy is locked up forever. I mean, Paige being scared of him, I think, speaks volumes, too. Right? I mean, you and you can't just we see this all the time on TCO. Like there are just women who are in the line of sex work. They're not taken seriously or they should expect this or it's just it's so that's why like a lot of serial killers prey on sex workers because they know that they can be like forgotten or excused away or it's like yeah well my dna is there because we did have sex but like i promise it was consensual and no i didn't kill her but like there it's it there are like cases about this all the time and it's just it's so so frustrating that just because she was in this particular line of work that for some reason every other part of her story gets justified or like looked over or whatever but i'm glad we finally got here and he is behind bars because he yeah he's a piece of shit this guy totally he's super creep i'll put his picture in the uh Instagram and when i was googling post. it today i was like oh he's he so is like looking. he and he looks like i mean i can only see his mugshot but he looks like a very imposing character i mean what'd you say six five yes yeah 
yeah. and it looks it, it feels like he was using that and sometimes there are men who just like know they're big and creepy and like that and use that to their advantage and he I don't like judging a book by its cover but I know for a fact that this guy's a murderer so I feel like he was using that to his advantage absolutely he's he's over a foot taller than her oh god and he so was scary. really obsessed with escorts and all i mean he had information on multiple people yeah and I, she yeah. just was his his focus like so many people failed her and it's it's so sad to hear like hearing this story in this cohesive way and and with the hindsight that we have I mean it's just so and like that pampered chef was just so focused on their look and their optics and again I say like even in the most cynical way like it, it's good business to care about your people. So take the space in the newsletter to care. Like, even Absolutely. if you don't like it's So it's so crazy that they were, that they resisted that so much because it really shows their true colors to me that it's really all about like this perfect, perfect, perfect life. And oh, this like, oh my God, she was, you know, insert derogatory term for sex worker here. You know, like we don't want to be associated with that. It's right. like, oh, she's a person and she lived, she had a scary situation and she, something horrible happened happened to her and like you should care it shouldn't matter it shouldn't matter if she sold your vegetable peeler or not i'm just going back to vegetable peeler because right. i didn't want some now that's the only <laughs> appliance i could think of um but yeah you should just like we say this on tcl like why is it so hard to just care about people like why can those two things not be true like why can you want like to whatever you have your business put out there whatever you wanted to put out there and also care about horrible things that happen like why are they why can't they both be true at once i don't understand it it is really interesting to me. I, I feel like MLMs are one of the only businesses that are like, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to, no, 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 Like any other normal business, if someone was in a national news story and it was literally in the articles that they worked for you, like, why wouldn't you immediately be like, we're helping in the best way we can. Right. We're, we're letting everybody know we're keeping up to date. We hope she's found. Let us know what right. we can do. We're going to have a fundraiser, whatever. Yeah. Being murdered is a lot bigger than you know anything else literally like, anything else like literally any other product you're selling or any other you know it just also i'm just thinking of lula Roe and in in lula rich like just the racism of it all too like how they just wouldn't like again just stop gatekeeping stop being racist like it's such an easy fix and they just refused and then not talk about it and just like that's not like but when you see these these images of like these thousands of women and they're like all white and it's like you have to acknowledge what the truth is here you either either acknowledge it and say that like we're super gatekeepy and we want like a certain type with a certain weight and a certain look or don't be racist anymore like you know what i mean it's like this resistance to to acknowledge what the truth is and sometimes the truth is like bad things happen in the world and sometimes the truth is like we're contributing to those bad things but right. to just ignore it all is like is so wild to me like the mental gymnastics you have to do to go to sleep at night and really believe that like you're not doing anything wrong is so so crazy to me right like they literally have to convince themselves that giving something like this more attention than something inconsequential is like, you know what I mean? Like they have to and, convince themselves like, well, it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair. And I was and like, also, she like, got murdered. What are you talking and, about fair? And it has nothing to do with Pamper Chef. Like it has nothing to do with their shitty business. Like their MLM is bad and predatory, but like one has nothing to do with the other. Right. So no one's going to be like, 
Oh, it's not like she got murdered at a pampered chef party even if she did like look into why that happened and right. like make it never happen again or like and, the and vegetable that. killer that too. was the murder weapon right it's right. not or like, like or yeah, you're, you're selling defective things that are dangerous to people like you have to own all of this but even the fact that it was like this whole horrible horrible story was just pampered chef adjacent and they were so scared of like what what any kind of truth or like just what it's like to be a human in this world like bad things happen every day and like they just didn't even want to be next to it or near it or adjacent to it it's just it's so like it just does not compute it makes no sense to me I don't get it yeah, <laughs> like just be like, just care about people other crazy. than yourself <laughs> and your downline right care about other people besides the ones that make you money right <laughs> care about your non-transactional relationships too Right. Like what if someone in their family who's not in their downline, something bad happened to them, would they just like not care because it's a reflection on like what? By that logic, nothing makes any sense. Nothing makes sense anyway. But, you no. know, so Jillian, thank you. Like, seriously, this was this has been like such a fun chat. And thank you so much for telling the story with me and going down these rabbit holes of true crime. Before we hop into some special rapid fire questions that I made for you, sure. um, can you tell everybody listening where they can find you and find your show and how they can follow along? Yeah. So uh, first of all, thank you for having me. This was an honor. So thank you so much. Um, I am Jillian with a G all spelled out like that. Personally, G-I-L-L-I-N-W-I-T-H-A-G, which everyone says it looks like Jillian Whithag. So sorry for that, too. I feel like I'm endlessly apologizing. Yeah, so that's what I am on Instagram and Twitter. I think I'm Jillian with a G NYC on TikTok, but I haven't posted anything. True Crime Obsessed is my true crime podcast. So that's True Crime Obsessed on Twitter. True Crime Obsessed Pod on TikTok and True Crime Obsessed Podcast on Instagram. And the Hamilcast, which is a, my podcast about Hamilton, the musical, is the Hamilcast on everything. So, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Hamilton is, I love it too. Um, so, these are the rapid fire questions. They're usually MLM, but we're going to do them for true crime. Okay. So, what is one word that encompasses how you feel about the genre of true crime? Complicated. That's, I mean, complicated. That's, there's a lot there. How do you keep your mental health like even keeled when watching and researching and talking about true crime like all day long? It's really hard to be totally honest. Um, I have therapy every Thursday at 145. So that helps. And also sort of what I have to learn is that I can't save everybody and everything. I can't save every person. I can't save every animal. I can't fix the world. So giving myself permission, and it's a struggle every day, giving myself permission to not be upset about these things and know that everything's going to be there for me tomorrow um, is something that's a little helpful. Like at the end of the day, I'm with Mike and I'm with Fiona, our dog. And I try to, you know, I cook, I like cooking a lot. I have like comfort shows and just sort of giving myself permission to let it go for now. And that doesn't mean I don't care about it. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to obsess over it or try to fix it and help everybody, but giving myself permission to have like mental time off and turning that part of my brain off for a little bit at the end of the day has been a journey, like a years long journey of trying to find that balance. I work at it every single day. So, yeah. What is the one case that sticks with you the most? Oh God. So many of them, honestly, like there's a case that we haven't even recorded our episodes about yet, but it's a documentary called the most hated man on the internet. 
if you oh, have seen yes. it, great. If you have not, I don't recommend it. The thing that I learned that is a major trigger for me is that like the internet confirms all my deepest fears about the world. So everything I was just saying about like turning things off. So my, a big trigger for me, and you can't pick your triggers. I get in trouble for this too, but uh, animal abuse is a big trigger for me. Um, and people say like, well, don't you care about humans? And I'm like, I do, but you can't pick your triggers. So my intrusive thoughts and the images also uh, any kind of sexual violence because I'm a survivor of that. So that sucks. Um, and so the, most hated man on the internet is one of those documentaries that is made in a way where you kind of never know what image you're going to see. And it's really stressed me out and we haven't even covered it yet, but I've like discussed it in therapy because it's like all of like the darkest parts of the internet where like when I'm trying to fall asleep at night and I'm thinking like all these horrible things are happening and I convince myself they're not happening so I can go to sleep. Documentaries like this remind me like, no, they're happening. And it, it's it been months since I watched it the first time and it like hasn't left me. And so things like that where where you really, where like, I, I'm like, I live in New York City, right? So I'm looking outside and like something horrible can be happening in any one of these apartment buildings. Like that's where my brain goes. And they could be like someone in the elevator that I know. And they could be like sending all these horrible photos to some website and doing these horrible things. Um, so my brain sort of fixates on that. So documentaries like that. Yeah. Uh, Don't F with Cats was another one like that where it's like oh, you never yeah. knew. It was just like the dark, the dark web, the dark side of the Internet. Things like that are like really scary to me. What is the hardest lesson that you have learned hosting a true crime podcast? Going back to the whole genre being very complicated, you know, it's covering these very, very, very sensitive topics, not just for me, but like they're actual, they're real people involved. That's the other thing. The other like level of guilt that I feel is like, oh, I'm upset about this. Like this happened to a real person and I'm just talking about it. So how dare I feel upset or traumatized or triggered or whatever when like this didn't even happen to me. So dealing with that and really trying to, as the true crime space grows and also has more eyes on it, rightly so more criticism, navigating that in a way that is respectful and just the right thing to do, like learning to do that because my intentions are there, but that my intentions don't really matter if people are being hurt. So it's it's navigating that and still wanting to do what we do in a way that isn't hurtful, really, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And then um, what's a positive takeaway? You know, when I, having ADHD and growing up with it and not knowing that that was what was happening, I never knew like what I wanted to do. And this job didn't exist when I was a kid. And I remember I wanted to be like an MTV VJ. I wanted to do something where I can just like talk and like be myself. And and that wasn't a thing that didn't exist. And now it does. And I get to do it. And it's unbelievable that I get to wake up and do this thing like when I discovered podcasting I call my agents and I was like I quit like or you're fine whatever the word is like I don't want to do this anymore because I was getting auditions and feeling like resentful and I was like oh that's bad like that's not good there's someone who should be in my spot who really really wants it like I saw auditions as an annoyance I would rather be doing podcasting and I didn't know that I would feel that way and I fell into it and I fell in love with it and I feel really really grateful that now like the world has changed where this is now a thing. But if I was a kid, like if I was in college, when I was in college, like this wasn't a thing, you know, it's just sort of realizing that I've discovered this thing that I love to do and I get to do it. And I'm really grateful. And for that, I also say like young people, your thing is out there. Just find your thing and start doing it. 
because I didn't go to college for this. I mean, I, I majored in film and communication. So I guess communications fine. But like there wasn't a podcasting course. You know, you never know. Like you can figure out what you want and then like make it your job. You can do that. It's hard work, but you can do it. <laughs> it is hard work, but you can do it. You and can. It's, it's so rewarding. I love it, too. This is seriously my dream job, and I didn't even know I wanted it. <laughs> Thank you so, 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 so much. You Thank are you so much. So this has been great. Yeah. When you're in New York, you, we got to hang out. So let me know when you ever come this way, and we'll... I feel like I'm going to book a flight now. (laughs) Okay, great. It'll be great. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much again. You are so fantastic. And um, I'm I'm sure everybody loved this. Oh, I hope so. But if not, that's okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. <laughs>